the noon report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Hello, winter. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. A nasty nor'easter is blanketing parts of the listening area today with shovelable snow. It's snowing. In Pennsylvania. A lot of us didn't see a drop, but some got a lot. Weather Channel meteorologist Mike Bettis says this storm is a fast mover, too. There'll be a brief period where the snowfall rates will be very intense, but by the evening, everything is gone, so it's a very quick shot, but a very intense shot. The weather event mostly contained to Pennsylvania in our proverbial neck of the woods. Here's weather watcher Brett Thacker. This is not a storm that's going to be a big snow, but it is going to have a big impact. These folks in Stroudsburg found the snow inviting after what's been a pretty much snowless winter thus fall. Snow is nice. It helps the tourism industry of the Poconos. Two, three, four, five inches. I'm fine. I like the snow. I really do. But not when we're going to get 10 inches. 35 million Americans from Appalachia to Maine under snow emergencies. New York City reeling from its first major winter storm in two years. Mayor Eric Adams. We have not had any significant snowfall for quite some time. You know, the time has come. You know, Mother Nature does what she wants to do. Schools in New York City went to remote learning today due to the bad weather. Boston Mayor Michelle Wu. Make plans to be indoors, stay off the roads. It's looking like it will come down pretty heavily pretty fast. Along with the snow, those along the coast preparing for winds of up to 40 miles per hour today could cause some widespread outages. Tens of thousands are already powerless in the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area. While you were sleeping, the U.S. Senate overnight, passed a $95 billion aid package for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. The funding stands little chance, though, in the House. In the House, I have to tell you, things are very uncertain. Republican Speaker Mike Johnson, who is a close Trump ally, is already throwing cold water on this bill. Correspondent Nancy Cordes, House Republicans planning their second impeachment vote today against Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas. An attempt to impeach him last week failed over his handling of the border crisis. Mayorkas denies any responsibility for the chaos that's resulted from our broken border. It certainly is a crisis and well, we don't bear responsibility for a broken system and we're doing a tremendous amount within that broken system. But fundamentally, fundamentally, Congress is the only one who can fix it. And it's not just at the place where the U.S. meets Mexico that's the problem. Clinton County, New York Sheriff David Favreau says our northern border is also under threat. We know that if Congress today were to totally close the border and stop this illegal migration into our country, it would take a couple of years for us to be able to get back onto our feet. And that's a very optimistic look at it. Probably upwards of five or six years. The northern border, by the way, is more than 5,500 miles long. It is the longest border anywhere on the planet. Inflation remains stubbornly high. Consumer prices are more than 3% higher today than they were this time last year. And the cost of food, a major reason why.
why. Business analyst Jill Schlesinger says that's especially true if you go out to eat. There's a big difference between eating at home and eating in a restaurant. The home index for food up by 1.2% from a year ago. Going out, 5.1%. We're learning more today about the gunman who opened fire inside Pastor Joel Osteen's Houston Mega Church on Sunday. Anti-Semitic material found at her home and on her weapon. Reporter Morgan Chesky. And as that anti-Semitic material combined with the fact authorities say they saw the word Palestine written on the shooter's rifle, which has them saying that they are not ruling out terrorism or a hate crime as a potential motivating cause here. And this is happening as we've learned that the shooter's seven-year-old son remains in critical condition after police say she brought him inside the church which he started to open fire. Houston police identifying the deceased shooter as 36-year-old Genesee Moreno. Two off-duty cops at the church at the time credited with saving countless lives. Police Chief Troy Finner. They held their ground in the face of rifle fire at point-blank range. Moreno had been arrested at least six times the past two decades, but was still able to legally purchase the AR-15 used in the shooting. Police say a dispute with her ex-husband's family, who is Jewish, may have motivated her. Former President Donald Trump wants the U.S. Supreme Court to block a lower court ruling that denies him immunity from prosecution. It has to do with actions taken after the 2020 presidential election. Here's legal analyst Thane Rosenbaum. The Supreme Court ruled years after the Nixon administration that a former president is immune from civil liability. The court reasoned that without immunity, there would be endless lawsuits seeking money damages for matters that the president wasn't even involved in. Donald Trump is arguing that the same ruling should apply to criminal prosecution. Trump's been criminally charged with allegedly plotting to overturn the 2020 election results. Nikki Haley continues to beat the drum of electability, saying she, not Trump, has a better shot at winning in November. How many more times do we have to lose before we realize that he is the problem? He can't win a general election. Haley points to the polls that have her defeating President Biden by a wider margin than Donald Trump would. The longest Super Bowl game ever was also the most watched television event ever. According to Nielsen and Adobe Analytics, Sunday's big game between the Niners and Chiefs averaged 123.4 million viewers on television and streaming platforms. Still to come on the Noon Report, special election in New York, pumping the brakes on electric buses and farmers' bottom line. Good afternoon, I'm Kevin Williams, the system that brought plowable snow to parts of eastern central Pennsylvania, moving away from that area now. It otherwise looks quiet this afternoon. Then some lake flakes will be flying by this evening for some. I'll have forecast details in 10. All right, we'll look for you then. Thank you, Kevin. Let's check the stories making news where you live next. And we'll begin in western New York. A small airplane landed safely without incident near the Buffalo Airport last night after a door fell off while that plane was in flight. Two people on board were not injured. Authorities are still looking for that door.
that fell from the sky last night near Buffalo. It's election day in downstate New York, and the snowy weather could have a big impact on voter turnout. This is the election to fill the congressional seat once held by the expelled lawmaker George Santos. Former Democratic Congressman Tom Swazi is facing off against Ethiopian-born former Israeli soldier and mother of seven, Mazi Pillup. Under Biden and Tom Swazi, this opened the southern border, they funded sanctuary cities, and they created this mess. It's a big mess. It's a national crisis. Pillup says border security is the top issue on the minds of voters today. As an immigrant, I can tell you, I came to this country legally. My husband who was born in Ukraine came to this country legally. We want people to come to this country to live the American dream. That's what's beautiful about our country, but it has to be done correctly. Pillip says the special election for New York's third congressional district is a referendum on the migrant crisis. The latest polls have her trailing Swazi by a few points. A Republican's resignation has shifted the balance of power back to Democrats in the Pennsylvania House. Representative Joe Adams of Pike County resigned for medical reasons last week, and his departure leaves the House at 101 to 100 in favor of Democrats. A special election will have to be held to fill that vacancy. There's another special election happening today in Bucks County for an open House seat. In fact, there have been three special elections the past year in Pennsylvania to determine which party controls the State House in Harrisburg. New York Republicans are calling on the governor to pump the brakes with her electric school bus mandate. By 2035, she's instructed all buses on the highways be electric buses. Assembly Minority Leader Will Barclay says that's a bridge too far. If this mandate goes through, the public is going to know about it. And unfortunately, like a lot of mandates we do here in Albany, this electric school bus mandate It's unworkable, it's unreasonable, and it's unattainable. Barclay says the transition to electric buses would cost $20 billion. They are three times more expensive than conventional buses. The GOP wants a 10-year delay in the electric school bus mandate. 36 states have legalized sports betting. 26 permit mobile sports betting. Now, New York Congressman Paul Tonko wants a ban on online sports betting advertisements. Tonko says sports betting is getting out of control. But it's every inch of the game, every play. Will it be a run? Will it be a pass? How many yards? Under 10, over 10? We need to avoid a potential crisis here. The Albany area Democrat says the revenue generated through sports betting is not worth the cost. Yes, those are dollars into the state. But how many dollars are going to be required of these states to address yet another illness of addiction? The National Council on Problem Gambling says up to 8 in 10 high schoolers have gambled for money in the past year. Pennsylvania Senate Education Committee Chair David Argel is expressing concern about Governor Shapiro's latest education proposal. The governor wants to combine Pennsylvania's big universities and smaller colleges under a single umbrella. Flexibility is the key. It's one of the reasons why our 
community colleges are so successful, they are very nimble, and we don't want to take that away from them. Argo warns a one-size-fits-all mandate may not fit across the diverse landscape that is Pennsylvania. We have suburbs, we have large cities, we have small towns, we have farms and villages, and so it's very difficult to write education policy that helps all of our students. Governor Shapiro's also calling for more college affordability. His plan unveiled in last week's budget address allows middle-class Pennsylvanians to attend state-owned universities and community colleges at a cost of no more than $1,000 per semester. A note and what was found on it has led to concern at one Pennsylvania university. A handwritten note found in a classroom on the Indiana University of Pennsylvania campus seemed harmless at first, saying, hello, student, hope you have a good day. But it ended with something ominous as a bullet was placed on top of the paper. Campus police at IUP said Monday they spoke with two students accused of leaving the note last Thursday in Jane Leonard Hall and quickly concluded it was not an actual threat. However, the students, whose names are being withheld, face potential judicial sanctions. Campus leaders at IUP declined comment, citing the ongoing investigation. Brian Query, Family Life News. Thank you, Brian. The population in Pennsylvania's rural areas will shrink dramatically within the next 25 years. By 2050, rural counties can expect to see their population shrink by nearly 6%. The USDA projects net farm income will drop as well by $43 billion this year. And that's the largest year-to-year decline ever for the family farmer. So our prices set by the federal government, you know, um, based on supply and demand, and we can't uh, change that here in New York. So as the cost of doing business in New York goes up, it makes things a little bit more challenging. John Patterson is a sixth-generation farmer in Auburn, New York. He milks 1,800 cows on a 35-acre dairy farm in the heart of the Finger Lakes. We do business with about 55 local vendors, and we're constantly getting letters saying that our cost of services or product are going up due to inflation. In the last 40 years that I've been paying attention to things around here, we've grown and added more cows, and it's not necessarily because I want to have more cows, but we have to. The USDA says every farm in the country will lose on average this year $72,000. The Rochester Red Wings are making their annual guarantee ahead of the team's baseball home opener. Yeah, we're talking baseball now. If the temperature for the April 2nd contest in Rochester against Lehigh Valley doesn't hit 50 degrees, fans will be able to redeem their ticket for another home game in April or May. And in case you're wondering, Rochester's average temperature on April 2nd is 41 degrees. We'll see if they can do it. Let's talk more sports next. It's the two-minute drill on Family Life. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, it's a tough way to lose a game. The Knicks were in Houston last night. The score was tied at 101. Aaron Holiday threw up a prayer of a three-point shot at the buzzer while Jalen Brunson rushed at him and jumped to try and block the shot. A foul was called. Holiday made the first two free throws, then purposely missed the third one so the clock would run out. After the game and after seeing a replay, the ref said no foul should have been called. So the game should have remained tied and gone into overtime. Like I said, it's a tough way to lose, but kudos to the ref for admitting he blew the call. 
And kudos to Brunson, who was asked by the press three times what he thought of the call. Each time his response was, great call, next question. In Cleveland, the 76ers held on for a much-needed victory over the Cavs, 123-121. Buddy Heald had 24 points, as did Kelly Oubre Jr. as Philly ended Cleveland's nine-game winning streak. Well, it's not very often you see a triple-double that includes blocked shots on the stat sheet, but that's what Victor Wembanyama provided for the San Antonio Spurs. 27 points, 14 rebounds, and 10 blocked shots as the Spurs beat the Raptors 122-99. Elsewhere, the Hornets, Bulls, Pelicans, Bucks, Mavs, Warriors, and T-Wolves picked up wins. On the ice, the Rangers' Igor Strestorgin picked up his first career shutout, stopping all 30 shots he faced. Will Cooley and Jimmy Vesey both lit the lamp to give the Blue Shirts a 2-0 win. Also picking up wins, the Devils, Wild, and the Flyers, who got a goal and two assists from Travis Konechny in their 5-2 victory over the Coyotes. That is a look at sports. All right, thank you very much, Randy. And still to come on the Noon Report for Tuesday, New York City nailed by Nor'easter. Hate crime at Houston Megachurch. And meet a hometown hero who's giving hope to the homeless. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Recently, the New York Times published an opinion column describing stories of people who, we've long been told, don't exist. According to transgender activists and their allies in the media, those who quote-unquote detransition are either legends or so rare that they're best viewed as right-wing pawns and talking points. They've also been described as people with quote, a lot of internalized transphobia. At best, they're viewed with suspicion because they complicate the narrative that so-called gender-affirming care, a phrase that actually refers to social, chemical, and surgical rejection of biology, will bring peace and contentment with one's true identity. Because more than a few articles and opinion pieces in the New York Times have been critical of the idea of detransition, many were surprised at this opinion piece, which so compassionately told of individuals who have detransitioned and highlighted the harms that they have faced from counselors, from psychologists, and from medical institutions. And yet, though the piece does come off as a kind of expose, it's billed as an opinion piece, and it largely repeats points that have already been made for years by scholars like Ryan Anderson, Abigail Schreier, and others. The irreversible harms of so-called gender-affirming care have been known for some time. For example, we've long known that there's a difference between gender dysphoria, which historically affects a very small population of young boys, and the rapid onset gender dysphoria of the last decade that affected skyrocketing numbers of teen and preteen girls. We've known that major pediatric, psychiatric, and psychological associations have been so captured by gender ideology that they preempted normal standards of care, that they rushed children to life-altering treatment, and they refused to consider the comorbidities like OCD, depression, autism, trauma, sexual abuse, and other physical and mental health issues. We've also known that parents are often blackmailed with the threat of suicide of their child. And we've also known that it's because of these factors that nations like France, Sweden, Norway, the Netherlands, and the UK have all dramatically limited and even eliminated, in some cases, the chemical and surgical transition of minors. But perhaps most surprising is that the Times published this opinion piece, even though 
it contained a critique of activist organizations, GLAAD and the Human Rights Campaign, accusing these organizations of suppressing the language of rapid onset gender dysphoria. The author even pointed to the idea of gender confusion as a social contagion, noting that some children were, quote, introduced to transgender influencers on YouTube or TikTok, a phenomenon intensified for some by the isolation and online cocoon of COVID, end quote. Still, while it's welcome to see a crack in this dangerous narrative that's gone unquestioned for so long, the piece also presented an increasingly common argument that's just as problematic as the one that it counters. The author suggested that many who struggle with gender identity are in reality just gay or lesbian and not really trans. For example, the piece quoted Paul Garcia Ryan, someone who recently detransitioned, as saying, quote, it was much less threatening to my psyche to think that I was a straight girl born into the wrong body than to admit he was attracted to the same sex. The problem is that this only substitutes one false understanding of identity with another. It also repeats the so-called born this way argument that was used to normalize homosexuality it's an argument that's already been widely discredited. Healing and wholeness will only be found in embracing who we are, not rejecting who we are, specifically who God has made us to be. To learn more about identity from a Christian worldview, check out IdentityProject.tv. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Thank you very much, John. Let's take it outside next, a very busy Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast. The call for this afternoon, cloudy. Some snow showers and snow flurries returning to western New York and northwest Pennsylvania. High temperatures in the 30s. Brisk and colder tonight tomorrow. Lake effect snow. Then a few inches could accumulate southeast of Lake Ontario into parts of central New York. An inch or less in other snowbelt communities and little to nothing elsewhere. Low temperatures tonight, 20s, and high temperatures tomorrow in the lower 30s. And some snow mixed with raindrops returning later Thursday and some snow expected Thursday night. Okay, winter still with us. Thank you, Kevin. This is the Noon Report. I'm Bob Price. Here's what's going on Tuesday, the 13th of February. New York City reeling from its first major winter storm in two years today as a nasty nor'easter barrels up the coast. Parts of Pennsylvania getting pounded as well. We're going to definitely see the potential for whiteout conditions, almost blizzard conditions because wind gusts are going to be in excess of 20 to 30, even 40 miles per hour. Then it's out of here by dinner time. Reporter Emily Aketa is in northern Jersey today. Parts of the northeast could be buried by some 10 inches of snow. That's as much snow as people here in North Jersey have seen all season long. Up to a foot of wind-driven snow expected in the Poconos. Tens of thousands are powerless near Harrisburg. A special election for an open congressional seat happening today in downstate New York. Voters are braving the snow to cast their ballots. Reporter Madeline Rivera says a lot is riding on the result, given the Republicans' slim majority in the House. The special election in New York's 3rd Congressional District between Republican Mazi Pillip and Democrat Tom Suozzi could also serve as a bellwether this November. Democrats are eyeing swing suburban districts like this one to take back the House. Abortion, crime, and immigration are some of the issues dominating this race. With Donald Trump in firm control of the Republican presidential race, he's now looking to expand his influence over the party. Reporter Garrett Hayes. Former President Trump is pushing for three loyalists to head the Republican National Committee and replace Ronna McDaniel, who's faced a lot of pressure to step down. Mr. Trump is endorsing a top ally as party chairman, his daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, as co-chair, and he would also make a senior campaign advisor into the party's chief operating
operating officer. The idea here is that these moves would tighten Donald Trump's grip on the party and basically eliminate any daylight that exists between his campaign and the RNC. The special counsel report last week that raised questions about President Biden's mental acuity, a major red flag going into the 2024 election, says Molly Hemingway with The Federalist. People have been seeing this for a long time, but this broke it open for everybody. But it's a it's a dangerous situation that we're in. There's the incompetence, there's the corruption, and there's uh, not a lot of options for Democrats. Three quarters of Democrats in recent polls expressed concern about the president's age and mental fitness as he seeks a second term. We're learning more today about that shooting at Pastor Joel Osteen's megachurch in Houston on Sunday. Houston police believe anti-Semitism may have played a role in the shooting Sunday afternoon at Lakewood Church. Commander Christopher Hassig says 36-year-old Hispanic female Genesee Moreno had a Palestine sticker on the AR-15 she used upon entering the church. After she was shot and killed by off-duty officers, they also found anti-Semitic writings. We do believe that there was a familial dispute that has taken place between her ex-husband and her ex-husband's family, and some of those individuals are Jewish. Moreno also had a history of mental illness. Chris Fox, Austin. Moreno's seven-year-old son was shot in the head and is clinging to life at the hospital. The shooter legally purchased the AR-15, despite being known to authorities as having mental issues. Shipwreck hunters have discovered the remains of a merchant ship that sank in Lake Superior in 1940 during a storm off Michigan's Upper Peninsula. That 244-foot ship was fully loaded with wheat and headed to Ontario. When it sank on May 1st, 1940, the crew survived. The captain did not. He went down with the ship. This is the Noon Report, a Tuesday edition, right here on Family Life. Welcome back to another edition of Hometown Heroes on Family Life. I'm Mark Webster, and this week's guest is Angelique Labadee-Sahanowitz, Executive Director of Williamsport, Pennsylvania's House of Hope, affording homeless women a fresh start through Christ. Several years ago, I started working for Sojourner Truth Ministries, coming up on six years ago. At that time, and several times since, it has been brought to my attention the need to help the women who fall through the cracks, that is, people who for various reasons and various barriers are unable to go into housing or helping programs in our area. There's just not a niche for them. So this was developed for the people who tend to fall through the cracks. God just gave me dreams and visions. And so I started moving forward on those things. And several years later, now we have the House of Hope with a lot of other people's help and prayers and contributions. Right when you walk in the building, there's scripture greeting you right in your face. It's Romans 5, 8. I loved you at your darkest. What's the significance of that? The design of the House of Hope is to to bring in women coming out of a, a season of homelessness that so often includes a person's darkest hour or close to it. Being able to point the love and the promises and the hope of Jesus Christ to women who are in situations where they may feel they have no other way to go. And so we might be a last resort for them. And we want them to know from the second that they walk in that this is a place where they will receive love and be offered healing and acceptance and value through Jesus Christ, which is what forms everything that we do. 
everything is based on the premise of the love of Jesus. It's a Christ-based program. Tell me, A, how someone winds up at your door, and then what do they experience once they walk through that door? People have come to us from different ways, from rehab or being institutionalized, whether that be incarceration or whatever, or referred to us from hospital setting or through someone that they know that knows someone that knows the work that we're doing. And there's an interview and an admissions process. If we feel like the person is a good candidate and really is ready to help herself to break the cycle of homelessness and wants to learn to be sustainable, is ready to do the hard work, take the hard steps that are necessary to change a life, then we're ready to begin to work with her if she meets our qualifications. For example, we're not able to take any children. They walk in the door and our goal is to greet them and let them know that this is a safe place in every manner of speaking with that. Just like on that statement, I loved you at your darkest, that we can go up from here and we are with you. They know right from the writing on the walls that this is a place where they are having opportunities to heal from multifaceted brokenness. How does that unfold as, as someone goes through the process? This is a nine-month commitment. We have a curriculum based off of Mercy Ministries, who's been successful for around 30 years. And that is what so much of what we do is based on. And that is not dealing with behavior modification, but through Christ, inviting him into the roots of issues and challenges and fears and anxieties and working through those things. So we have different phases. And the first, of course, are much more restrictive as women have opportunity to work through different phases, then the life skills that they're working on are expected to change. The responsibilities that they have are expected to change. The freedoms that go along with the changes in responsibility are all developed with her success in mind. That nine-month period is, is almost symbolic, it feels like, uh, just the same time it takes for a child to be born, so you're helping somebody be reborn. Absolutely. Going into the roots of things, it is a long period. We don't expect change right from the get-go. There are opportunities for so much personal, spiritual, emotional, physical growth, as well as over 60 identified life skills. And so using your word picture of conception to it, sort of being born as a new, there are lots and lots of opportunities for these women. Every single thing that we can offer for them to have in their tool belt to be successful and maintain sustainability in renewed health and emotional health and wholeness through Jesus Christ is what we want to impart on them. It always comes back to Christ. <laughs> we have devotions every day, uh, first thing in the morning, and that is a, a requirement, one of the many requirements of the program. And uh, so they start off the day with that and processing that. They end the day with the opportunity of praying with a staff member. It's throughout the program. Everything we do is centered around Christ. That's Angelique Labadee. Hanawis, Executive Director of Williamsport, Pennsylvania's House of Hope, affording homeless women a fresh start through Christ. Please join us again next time as we search for your home, your town, your hero. It's Hometown Heroes on Family Life. Thank you very much, Mark. And uh, by the way, great job on the last name. Hometown Heroes comes your way Tuesdays during the Noon Report or online anytime, familylife.org. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life Regional weather forecast, the storm system that produced plowable snows across parts of Pennsylvania later last night and this morning is moving away now. Colder air filtering in behind you though will kick up 
a little lake effect snow as we head into tonight. No great amounts are expected, but a few inches of powder could accumulate across snowbelt areas southeast of Lake Ontario. The call for this afternoon, cloudy. Some snow showers and snow flurries returning to western New York and northwest Pennsylvania. High temperatures in the 30s. Brisk and colder tonight tomorrow. Lake effect snow and a few inches could accumulate southeast of Lake Ontario into parts of central New York. An inch or less in other snowbelt communities and little to nothing elsewhere. Low temperatures tonight, 20s, and high temperatures tomorrow in the lower 30s. And some snow mixed with raindrops returning later Thursday and some snow expected Thursday night. All right, Kevin, lots to consider there. And finally at noon, Valentine's Day is tomorrow, men, in case you forgot. And uh, while the holiday is all about love, what do you do if you're brokenhearted? Well, reporter Bree Tennis has some advice. To help mend a broken heart, zoos across the nation are allowing people to adopt an animal in the name of your ex. No fluffy koalas here. This is all about the dung beetle, hissing cockroach rats, and snakes. Prices are generally $20 or less, and some come with a digital certificate to help you move on. I'm Bree Tennis. All right, some help for the brokenhearted to end today's broadcast, and that is the world we live in. Tuesday, February 13th. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.